Take your Bible, please, friends, and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is a little more difficult to find than, the, it's not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, okay? It's, if you don't know where that is, if you look at the very back of the book, you'll find the book of Revelation, and go backwards from there, and you'll come across 1 John chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, you'll see there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. I would invite you to take that. And uh, matter of fact, if you don't own a Bible, take that home as our gift to you. We'd be really thrilled if you do that today, all right? As we start uh, looking at Scripture this morning, I'd like to, um, I'm going to tell you three stories today and some observations that come out of those stories in light of the Scripture that we're going to read, or maybe you want to say the other way around, some Scripture that has, and then three stories that relate to that. Uh, pretty difficult stories, as a matter of fact, starting with one that occurred back in September of this year, back in the fall, in the Agnes Vale Falls Trail in Colorado. A young family by the name of the Johnsons, Dwayne and Donna Johnson, uh, and their kids, they, ha- they had four kids with them that particular day, and they were traveling, hiking up uh, in a national park up to the the falls that you can see on the screen behind me. You can see that they're probably pretty tall falls. On the left-hand picture, see there's a guy in a blue shirt sitting down the bottom. Anybody guess as to how, that's probably what, 80 feet tall, do you think? If he's, you know, six foot or so. It's, they're, they're significant falls, anyways. It's a little hike in. And as they were hiking in, unbeknownst to them, uh, the whole falls was about to come tumbling down. As a matter of fact, they started the hike, and as they were getting close to the, to the water, the mountainside gave way in front of them. Uh, people later on, as the officials that were looking at it, said that the swath of dirt and rocks that came down was several football fields wide. Some of the rocks, as you can see on the photos on the right-hand side, were as big as cars. They weighed more than 100 tons apiece. If you had your family walking toward that and that suddenly came swirling down, hurtling down the mountainside toward you, what would you do? Well, Dwayne Johnson, who is the father, did what you would expect him to do. He basically stood in front of his family. He managed to throw one of his little girls, Gracie, 13 years of age, underneath a rock, and she was saved. Five other people lost their lives, including Dwayne and Donna. As friends and family gathered round, uh, popular young family in their community and began to think about all that had happened. One of their friends, a fellow by the name of Mike Carr, had this to say about Dwayne Johnson and the heroic acts that he took to save his, the, daughter, the, the life of his daughter, Gracie. He said, my hunch is that the only regret he has is that he wasn't able to hurl himself in front of his whole family. And we get it, don't we? We get that kind of heroism. We get that sort of, hey, when there's a crisis coming and there's a situation coming, a parent is going to do all he or she can do to save the life of that child. I suspect if you've got kids here today, you'd say, well, that's what I do. If you, even if if there was anyone younger under your care, it's what you would do. You'd say, hey, I'm going to, can I save that person's life? So you do it for your kids, you do it for your nieces and nephews, you do it for your grandkids and so forth and so on, but would you do it for a stranger? For somebody you didn't know? Scripture we're going to look at today uh, addresses the issue of what does it mean to love 
people who we might not otherwise know? And how do we live in the light of God? Read with me in 1 John chapter 3. All right, so again, this is towards the back of the scriptures. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We sang that song, How Great the Father's Love for Us. The team sang it just a few minutes ago. How Great the Father's Love for Us that we should be called His children. It's taken directly from this passage of scripture here. That's why we used that song intentionally. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Verse 11. Based on all of that, based on the great love that God has lavished on us, what does John say? This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, and anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Last week, as we were reading another passage of scripture from from John the Apostle, we read from John 3.16 about what does it mean to receive the good gifts of God? What does it mean when we say that God gives us things and how do we intentionally take them in. And we looked at that from John 3.16. But now we get to 1 John, and I want to turn the tables a little bit for us today and ask, what does it mean when we um, receive and then in response give? And I'm not talking about the easy kind of giving. because I, mean, well, I guess I don't know if there's any kind of real easy giving. Giving should cost us something. It usually does cost us something. And, but there's kind of easy giving, if you will, and more difficult giving. It's easy to put a dollar, if you will, in the Salvation Army kettle as you're walking into Walmart and say, okay, I'm giving something. And that's, I mean, fairly easy to do. It's easy to give a gift at Christmas time to our family and to our friends because it's kind of the flowing out of who we are and out of our lives. But what about the more difficult giving that comes in from time to time? Giving to people who we don't like or giving to people who don't deserve it. I'm trying to get you to think about that today as you... Um, Continue to build what, is ta- what we are building in the lobby over these weeks. You may recall from last week that uh, we asked you to consider that little slip of paper that was in last week's bulletin, and there's one similar in there today that we'll get you, I'll get you to fill out at the end of the service. And you drop it off in the manger scene out in the lobby, and it becomes that paper and that willingness for you to um, say something on that piece of paper We shredded it all last week, the stuff you left behind last week, and it is becoming the hay where the baby Jesus is going to rest. It's going to be the straw of the manger scene. And that 
is going to grow this week and next week, and then we'll bring it all into this room for our Christmas Eve services. And in essence, what we're asking you to do is, as you receive and as you give, let's take a look at our hearts, and if we can we get our hearts to the place where we are ready to receive the infant child and what that means for us. And so be aware of that as the service moves along today. And be aware of what I'm gonna ask you to do is to consider who would you love and who would you give unconditionally to? Because that's what scripture calls us to do. I mean, we, we understand what Dwayne Johnson did when his family was in front of those rocks as they were coming down the mountainside toward him. He automatically gave his life. It's kind of intentional response of a father to say, my daughter is in danger, I will give my life. And because of the father-daughter relationship, it's easy to see how that works. But I need to remind you today that that's one of the reasons that Jesus came and died for you. Do you, do you see this in 1 John 3? See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That what? That we should be called children of God. I've got really good news for you today, friends. You are a child of God. You are someone who God loves, and you have had his love lavished on you, where if you will receive it, you will become a child of God. I can be loved as a child of God. You can be loved as a child of God. It involves a, a relationship with God. It involves a willingness for us to accept his grace gift. But with it comes a responsibility. With it comes a responsibility to act like Jesus. Look with me in verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Straight up. If we receive the grace gift of Jesus Christ, and we talked about that last week, if we receive, then our responsibility is to do what? To reflect that grace gift and pass it back to other people. Because if we don't, then we're in trouble. Read on with me. Verse 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. You should, we should love one another. That's something that we know from the moment we experience the gospel of Christ. Intuitively, we know that we should be more like Jesus. The opposite of that is do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. I've got to tell you, as I've been working, I started working on this passage specifically two weeks ago today on Sunday afternoon. And this right verse right here is really distressing for me. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, and everyone who hates a brother or is... Oh, I don't like this at all. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You know what's distressing about this passage to me? The fact that John brings it up means that it's a possibility. You should love one another, oh, and you should not be like Cain. Cain murdered his own brother. Let me remind you the story, if you're unfamiliar with it. It's in Genesis 4, and uh, it reads like this. It'll be on the screens behind me. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man, and later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. 
And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Murdered him. Straight up murdered a member of his own family over jealousy, over rage that was within him, over some sort of emotional depression that was within him. He murdered his brother. And I really don't like the fact, to be honest, you know, at first glance, what I find distressing about 1 John is that in the midst of this discussion about love, which I really love and really like to get into, John goes, oh, by the way, don't be like Cain. And suddenly I want to go, well, was there ever any, debat, ever any doubt that I would be like Cain? And apparently there is. Apparently I have to be told don't be like Cain because the possibility exists that I could be Cain. Now, I hope not. I would have to say, though, I don't know for certain that I would never be a murderer. Does anyone? I would have to say that my heart has never been so overfilled with rage or anger or malice or the circumstances that would cause me to be a Cain. But apparently, according to John, the possibility exists that there might be a Cain lurking in my heart. Particularly if you look at verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. It, apparently, murdering doesn't always involve a knife or a gun. Simply if you hate, you're equivalent to a murderer. Huh. Are there circumstances in my life where I might hate somebody? Oh, I'd never pick up a gun to shoot someone. But do I hate them? Some of you may be familiar with a story that came out of Montana this week that kind of brings this to light. A young married couple have experienced a tremendous tragedy. Cody and Jordan Johnson were married on September 29th, pardon me, on January, June, I'll get the date right, June 29th of this year. They had a lovely wedding. People were marveled at, particularly at the way at which Jordan had arranged and paid for a person to actually write a love song specifically for her groom. Performed at the wedding and everybody was thrilled at that. But apparently eight days later, things went a little awry. They were walking along in another national park eight days after the wedding along a precipice, along a cliff area, and um, they got into an argument when she said that she wasn't so convinced that she shouldn't be married any longer. And I'm going, after eight days? That's quick. It's quick. And in the midst of the argument and him saying, I don't want to give you up or whatever it was, he reached out for her hand. She didn't want to be touched. She pulled away. She pushed away and pushed him over the edge of a cliff, 200 feet down below to his death. And on Thursday, she agreed to plead guilty to second-degree murder and 20 years in prison. 
And you go, well, that's ludicrous. No, I mean, she must have been nuts in the first place. Well, have you ever been in a place where a situation in a, in a discussion where you say, don't touch me, get away from me? Surely many of us have been in those settings, haven't we? We just have never been unfortunate enough to be in that setting on a cliff. Because there, hasn't there been a point where you said, I've had it up to here, and if there was a cliff, I'd push you off it? Oh, nobody would admit to that. At least not out loud in church. <laughs> Apparently he fell over the cliff and she drove away in both anger and fear, not knowing what to do. And what is amazing to me, bothering to me, distressing to me about First John is that John says, if I, hate, if I have hate in my heart, I'm like a murderer, and the possibility suddenly exists that I could be a Cain. That's not really who I want to be, I know that, but the possibility exists. Instead, I would rather be like Dwayne Johnson protecting his daughter. I'd rather be like Jesus. What does scripture say about Jesus? 1 John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. You know, I know there's something within me that says, in the midst of an imminent danger, in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of the rocks coming down the cliff face toward me, I'm probably going to act fairly nobly. I think I am. I, I, I want to believe I am. But what about when that danger is not in front of me? Can I still act with love on a long-term basis? Um, John says one way to do that is if you look around and see the people who might be in need, can you help them out? Can you help them out? If you've got something that they might need, could you give it to them? I'm glad that we are in that regard helping you do that here at the end of the year with our Give 2013 program. And let me, I, I want to say I, I have some, well, let me start by telling if you if you're unfamiliar with it, what this is about. We as a congregation here at the year end are saying, can we help some people who are outside the life of our church? Or people, namely, We've got medical students in Kenya. Our focus is there in many ways part of our missions program. We've got three kids that are in medical school right now. Can we get them through medical school and get them to the end of their career? If we do it right, we can raise the money this, this month and have the rest of their medical career taken care of. That's helping people who are far away from us. Or I would like to think we can help people who are the next generation off from us. We have a number of young people um, and adults in ministry training settings six or seven of them that are either in Bible school or seminary. And I understand that the reality is that few of them are ever going to probably come back and work as staff members here helping us, but we can help the next generation of a church somewhere else. Can we do that together? And so we're asking you to pool resources and say, can we join together in this? But I need to tell you, I'm a little bit conflicted about it from time to time. About, because any time a preacher stands up, and, or in my case, sits down and says, we want you to give to a program, you have to be careful. I have to be really careful that it doesn't come off as self-serving in any way. I'm glad that in this case, this is 
We're saying, help us out to help people far away in Kenya or help people in a next generation down for us and together let's learn what it means to be generous that way. Our approach apparently is to be like what Jesus did. Um, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters and it goes into a discussion very quickly about our pocketbooks and so we're trying to help you do that. But I don't want to appear self-serving. So I'm glad, frankly, that what, where we're starting with this funding is away from the church. That's good news. It's also good news that I think that if, if apart from my pocketbook, that if I had to lay down my life for my family, I think I could do it. I mean, seriously, if I was standing with, with my, you know, Leslie or Jack or Ben, and they were, we were walking down that trail, I think I could manage the courage to say, okay, I'm going to throw you guys under the rock, even if it means my own life. I, I, I think that's really what, what was at play when you think about those men and women who are on board that flight over Pennsylvania on 9-11 more than 10 years ago now. Have you heard the, um, cock, the recordings of them calling on their phones to the uh, operators? I think it was American Airlines. And you heard that fella from Chicago, Todd Beamer, praying the Lord's Prayer on the phone with the operator saying, we're about to take over this plane and you know, we probably won't live through it. In the, midst, in the midst of adrenaline, in the midst of the need for great courage and great strength, and we're gonna, we, we now know there are three planes that have gone down and, and are destroying lives. We're going to take this down before it destroys them. I get that kind of laying my life down. That righteous anger being a motivation, that, if you will, that righteous adrenaline. So in the crisis, my sense is anyone in this room would say, yeah, I'll lay down my life for somebody I don't know. But it's much more difficult when there's no crisis. And it's laying your life down, laying down who you are for someone you can't stand. And it's going to be long planned out. And it's like, okay, I'm going to have to do this every day for the next three years. I don't know if I want to do that. I want to pose a question for you today that I've, it's kind of a silly question in some ways, but it's potent on the other hand. Because I'm trying to ponder this question with you. Would I lay my life down? Not in the midst of a crisis. That would be kind of easy. But intentionally over a long period of time. A friend of a friend of mine has a nephew who I learned his story this week. His name is Mitch. Mitch was recently admitted just last week to the um, National Cancer Institute in Maryland with stage four lung melanoma. I mean, from all intents and purposes, from what I understand, you get stage four lung cancer, you've got a very, very difficult road to hoe. And I don't know what the prognosis is or anything like that, but as, as, I, as I'm looking at that photo that came across my desk this week and I'm working with this passage, <laughs> Scripture always messes with my head. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his, down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And I go, well, he's not my brother and sister and so I don't have to lead to my, lay my life down for him, but Jesus laid down his life for whoever. So this question began to run through my brain, which I said is in some ways a ludicrous question, but maybe it's not so much after all. 
This is a kid 1,200 miles away. I don't know him. He's never met me. He doesn't even know I know about him. But what if the doctors were to come to me, Wayne Kent, and say, Wayne Kent, Mitch at 15 years of age is in a life-threatening situation. And you at 55 years, you can save his life. Oh, great. How could I do that? I'd be willing to do that for a 15-year-old kid. I don't know. Well, Wayne, it's going to involve, uh, we're going to take his lungs out and we're going to replace them with your lungs. You're going to have to die in order for him to live. Now, I know that you don't treat medical, you don't treat lung cancer with a lung transplant. I get all of that, okay? And I get that, no, that ethically the medical community is not going to do that or anything. But I'm, I'm wondering if they would oppose that question to me, how would I respond? Because if, if Mitch and I were on the cliff face in Colorado and the, and the rocks were hurtling down towards us, I know, somehow I know within me, I'd throw him under the rock and save his life because of the adrenaline and whatever. But it's a whole lot different if they said, okay, six weeks from now, Wayne, you're going to have to be in Maryland. We're going to pull your lungs out and you're going to be toast. We're all going to clap for you, but that's it. You're, you're done with you got, you've got, you got 40 years on the kid. He deserves the 40 years that you had. Would I do it? I don't know. I have to admit, friends, I don't know if I have the courage. I'd like to think that I'd have it. I'd like to think that I'd have the faith in God to do that. It's not going to happen. But there are plenty of people with all kinds of stage four cancers in them that are not dying physically. Would you give your life for the 42-year-old fellow across the factory floor who has stage four rage within him? You know, every day you've got to interact with him and you just go, I'd rather, I'd rather he fell off a cliff. But would you give your life for him? Because to give your life to that fellow, for that fellow means you've got to do it every day over and over and over again and over and over and over again. You've got to be able to throw him under the rock to save him at the risk of your own life, your own reputation. Well, there's that 69-year-old woman neighbor down the, down the street, three doors down, and she hates everybody in the neighborhood. And it's quite easy for you not to be engaged in her life in any way. But would you risk your reputation in the neighborhood to love her? She's got stage four anger, bitterness. Or oh, you've got a 23-year-old niece who even at her young years has stage four bitterness that just seems to run rampant through every relationship she ever has and it runs roughshod over everybody in the family. And everybody in the family would like to say, ah, at the Christmas gathering this year, could we just not have her there? 
Could we emotionally push her off the cliff so we don't have to deal with her anymore and drive away from that scene? Or would you be willing to lay down your life for her? Because you've got a few days to think about it. Scripture says this. This is how we know what love is. If I'm to reflect God's love because I've received it, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm working on it. Are you? I'm going to help you work on it a little bit more yet today. In your bulletin, you'll notice there's a little strip of paper. Some of them are cream, some of them are yellow or various colors so that they become this straw, this hay, if you will. And I would suspect you know someone. You may have to share it with your neighbor or Gary's coming with some right now if you need some. He's got some slips if you didn't get one when you came in today. Um, Take a pen and write the initials of that 23-year-old niece or that 60-year-old, 69-year-old neighbor or the 42-year-old guy across the factory floor. Excuse me, who just... I mean, they just get on your nerves and there's... Your response too often has been, I want nothing to do with them. Who would it be that you would write in that piece of paper? One lady came to me last night at the end of the service. She said, I had five sets of initials. (laughs) I love the honesty. I love the honesty. Can I pray for you as you write? Father, Scripture digs into our hearts and we learn and we experience who you are through the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't know who Mitch is, really, but I pray for him. I pray, God, that healing would come to him today in Maryland. And it's not important that he know that there was a church praying for him or anything like that. Lord, we just, we want to extend love to him through our prayers. And God, we want to extend love to the family of uh, this little 13-year-old girl and to her specifically, Gracie, and then, Lord, to the um, Jordan Johnson and what she's facing, God, with 20 years in front of her and all. I mean, but, Father, in the midst of those stories, we also want to figure out what it means for us to lay down our lives for the people that just get on our nerves. We, we, in some ways, God, giving of our pocketbooks and the Give 2013 program is even more, is perhaps easier to deal with than people. We want to do both. We want to be generous, and yet not only generous of our pocketbooks, but generous of our hearts. God, if there is anyone here today who has not yet come to a full understanding of the source of that generosity being the love of God in Jesus Christ, Call them to you in a powerful way. Call them to you, Lord, in a way that impacts their lives this very day. At the the Christmas season of 2013, may they come to a place where they simply say, God, I want to walk with you in Christ. Forgive me of my sins. Let me know of who you are. We place all this in your hands, God. And in an act of faith, with these initials of these people who we have written on these pieces of paper, as we place them in the manger, God, 
We're saying, God, help us. God, help us. We don't want to be like Cain. And for that, Lord, for your help in our lives, we thank you always. In Christ's name, amen.